Thanks again for coming forward with the shield, Sam. It was the right decision. Take a walk. Yeah, I've been at home. My sister and my nephews, man. When I left, they were babies. I come back and they're little men. It's crazy, you know? Yeah. Well, you should bring him out to D.C. sometime. I'll teach him how to fly. You know, I mean the right way. <laughs> crazy to think that nobody's going to be carrying the shield. Hey, we went for 70 years without anybody carrying it when Steve was on ice, so I think we'll be all right. It's a different time, Sam. Like, so you're going to make me ask? Why didn't you take up the mantle? Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew episode review of the Falcon and Winter Soldier Episode 1, New World Order. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. This is Lewis. Hi, gents. How are you guys doing today? What was your first initial reactions when you stopped watching the episode? Uh, I, was, I was pretty hyped, man. Uh, I liked... My, my first initial reaction was, wow, we're getting an awesome Marvel show. Uh, right after WandaVision, we're going to get another one. Um, let's dive in deep with more MCU content. And, you know, it, it got me pretty excited to see what else they're going to do for the rest of the season. How about you, Jay? My initial reaction was, oh, it's over. That's it. That's the whole entire episode. It was really well done. It felt like a Marvel Universe movie. The amount of money, the amount of action. It was a massive action set piece from the beginning, from the top. And it had so many elements to it that I can't wait to dive in and explain everything. Yeah, that that action sequence at the very beginning got my heart racing. It was just like we were sitting there watching a movie. I was pleasantly surprised of how well it was done and made me feel like I was right there next to Sam flying through the air and questioning if I was going to be able to get rid of those missiles and be able to rescue the captain like I was supposed to. It was really edge of your seat exciting. And... <laughs> woke me up essentially watching it at 12 o'clock uh midnight uh did not want to go to sleep afterwards it was really really great yeah it really got me pumped up man just to see that scene that whole setup it gets you right right at the start and we got jason's favorite fighter coming back george st pierre arguably the greatest ufc welterweight champion ever is that who you're talking about yes sir to me it was amazing to see the Falcon in this amazing set piece, this amazing action, expensive set piece with his brand new Stark uniform, Stark wings. And I know it's a really nice, sharp, brand new uniform, but I have a feeling that by the end of this, by the end of this season, we'll get a new, new uniform again, more Captain America-y, hopefully. But it was really good to see him in his action piece. Let's be honest, if you think about Marvel, if you think about the Marvel movies in the past, the Falcon and Bucky, collectively, maybe they had 13 minutes of action and talking between all those hours of Avengers and Captain America. And you would see the Falcon specifically in the background and then come in and then do three or four moves, look badass, and then bounce from the scene. Now we got to see him full force. It's all about him kicking some ass. Yeah, I'm loving the deeper look they're taking, not into Sam and his family and his background, but also Bucky as well. You're kind of looking at two things. Bucky dealing with his past and reconciling it and making amends for all of the error of his ways that he 
that he did as Winter Soldier, but also Sam then coming back for five, being gone for five years and having to deal with his sister and the financial troubles that they are and ultimately his legacy that his parents left him and, and left him and his sister with the family business. Like we we're saying, it's it was a great action set piece, but then at the same time, it's great in-depth character development that we just did not get from the movies. So I'm super excited that we're able to to do this deep dive into these two characters. Yeah, definitely. What I really liked is that it was a 47 long episode and it didn't feel like that at all. Yeah. It kind of felt like I just saw a 20-minute scene just play out and it was perfectly done. It didn't feel slow whatsoever. The pacing was perfect. I mean, I, I really like where where uh, this uh, series is headed. Me too. I have to agree with you for the most part. There's a part of me that's thinking and worried, but it's way too early to tell. Are they setting it up as if it's a six-hour movie and just breaking it up for Disney Plus? And what I mean by that is WandaVision really felt like different episodes. But episode one of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier almost felt like the beginning of a movie that just stopped for us and said, you have to wait another week. Now, I'm being very presumptuous. It's very difficult to talk about a show in a podcast after one episode. So take everything I'm saying right now with a grain of salt. It's just minor thoughts that I have. I have no solid uh, feelings as of yet. It's too early. But that's something, that's, just plant that seed, that's something I'm worried about. Yeah, Jay, I would agree. We we talked last episode about how this could be a villain of the week style series uh, where we have a different villain that they're facing off with, much like all the other serial type dramas that we have with a little bit of character develop in the background. But they seem to have flipped that, where you have more character develop in the foreground and the villains are kind of taking a, a, a backseat. But you're right. It did feel kind of like they were setting, you know, it was the first act, first half of Act One that they yeah. were setting up, and then it just ended because that's time. I think they are they do have a broader story to tell, and unlike WandaVision, where you kind of needed to watch each episode each week and just kind of sit with it and re have it resonate with you for some time and to ponder what's going on, especially the way they did it with different decades each episode this one and you're right it's the first episode so we're making huge speculations here but it does feel like this could almost have been a better binge option show yeah where they release all six of them so you see the whole story in a two-night sitting if you will versus getting to where they ended the episode cutting it off and now you have to wait away for a week and Granted, the anticipation, the buildup is there. We we are going to watch, want to watch again next week. But they could have probably brought it up to like a ninety-minute episode, you know, or um, even a sixty, seventy-five-minute episode to give us a little bit more instead of having it be six episodes. Maybe it'd be four or seven. Yeah, I kind of see it. Uh, I see what you guys are saying. I just um, I feel like WandaVision feels a little bit uh, tighter as a series from the get-go because we we had more. Um, development from Wanda and Vision together as a, as a team, as a couple through the movies. With Falcon and Bucky, like uh, Jason said before, we, we really got, got like 13 minutes of them throughout the whole MCU movies. So I feel like they needed at least the first episode to set them up separately 
So you could see how, how their characters are by themselves and how they are together. Probably in the next episode, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Yeah, and I think they did that very well. The fact that we got to see them separately. And we got to see a lot more of Falcon and his family back at home in Louisiana, which, fun fact, you guys probably already know this. Anthony Mackie also grew up in Louisiana, which is pretty cool. So he's back at his hometown. But we got to see a lot about him and his family and what he's going through. And we'll talk about the financials and all that later on. But I'm going to be straight up. What did I say first episode of this podcast? I'm really interested to getting to know Bucky more. Granted, okay. we, we, we got to see some Bucky, but it's still the same Bucky. We know, okay, he's dealing with emotional shit. I want to learn a little bit more now. There is a little bit of a, a, a seed that we got, which again, we'll go into in a second, a really good seed and a storyline that's going gonna, gonna to pedal up in the next couple of episodes. But still, at this point, he's still... Bucky, this guy who's closed off, who feels a lot, but doesn't talk about much. What I think is also interesting is that there's been a lot of parallels too, especially with Bucky. And we can, let's get into Bucky's storyline through, through the episode. When Cab came back after being unthawed in Captain America Winter Soldier, at one point he had a notebook of all the things that he missed out that people said that he needed to listen to or watch or understand so that he could understand the the current pop culture references. Bucky's got the same thing, but it's reversed. It's what's happened in his past that he has to make amends for. Right. And I, I think it's kind of on purpose, actually, Jason, that we don't get too much more about him right now. Because like he said with the therapist, is that for 90 years, he's just been fighting went from one fight to the other. He slept mm-hmm. in between, essentially, in, while he was frozen. And then he got a little bit of peace in Wakanda. So I think this series is going to be that where he's trying to understand himself in the context of not having to fight all the time. Dig it. I think Falcon will bring that out of him. Yeah, I think I, uh, I agree. I think, um, oh, I mean, the interesting part about that scene is from a character perspective, right, we kind of get more of how guilty Bucky feels about everything he's done in the past. So that's why he has the, that notebook going one by one on each name, which those names are pretty interesting, but we'll get back to that. And it's uh, kind of a callback when you see him still laying on the floor, because that's what he's used to, where um, in Captain America, Winter Soldier, Captain America and Falcon have a conversation and they talk about how uh, they come back and they don't automatically go to their bed. I don't, I don't exactly remember the, the saying, but they say it's too soft. Yeah, it's too hard to sleep because they're used to sleeping on ground with rocks as pillows. And then when they come home to something nice and cushy, it feels like a marshmallow. And, right. and they can't yeah. sleep, so they have to get used to sleeping on the floor again uh, in their house. So we definitely see that when Bucky wakes up from his nightmare. But let's take half a yeah. step back and let's talk about that nightmare that he has. Nerd. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you guys think about that sequence of him reliving that one experience do you think that that's what he's doing with all of his amends all the people that he has to make amends with that he's got some nightmare that's pushing him to have a certain order for him to go down that list of names or is there something a little bit more there well he's haunted by his past that's what it is don't take his dreams and his list as parallel meaning that he's going to have a dream for the next person in his list. 
the dream is to in, is to explain to us what he's going through emotionally. The list is to explain to us what he's trying to do logistically to get over those emotions. But also on top of that, that dream opened up a past moment that we knew nothing about where he is killing some guys who we don't really care about because they have guns. They're probably bad or quote unquote, think they're good. But then you see that there's this scientist who obviously, you know, he doesn't hold a gun. We don't know his background. We don't know what he's uh, working towards. Is he working for Hydra? Is he working against Hydra? We don't know, but we do know that he is pretty much innocent as far as just a bystander who's smart, who is in that same hotel. And then he gets killed. And then we see, uh, and I'm jumping forward here and I apologize. We see the therapist, which we'll go through, which was a great scene. And then we see his only friend, which the therapist says, you have no friends. This older gentleman talking about his son. And that's the guy that he killed in that past. So that I think that dream was more meant to make us tie those dots together. Yeah. So Jason, as I was watching the therapist scene, I know CKC has done a lot of podcasts about a lot of different shows. And I, w- I really wanted to get your take on this and how they were filming that therapist the- scene as they were going back and forth because it felt very reminiscent of Mr. Robot. So I thought you would have some comments about how they, how they filmed that. I thought those scenes were done very well. And I wish Christina was watching the show with us because she could break down the therapist, quote unquote, part of it. But as far as filming goes, I thought it was done tremendous. Oftentimes with movies and TV shows, if there's therapist scenes, it can often be a little boring and drag on a little bit because the underlying message actually means a lot. But they got to get through the therapist section. But in this show, it managed to balance the important information about Bucky's emotional state with a bit of humor and a bit of attitude as the story is set up. I felt like Dr. Raynor is sharp. She has a bit of an attitude. She also um, served in the military, so she has that background that she can lean on. And she knew how and when to push the buttons. So it actually was an enjoyable scene for me. Yeah, I, when I was watching and he she got to the point of telling Bucky that what he's saying was bullshit. I'm like, this is not a normal therapy <laughs> session. Yeah, something's well, yeah, got to go on. And... He did. Yeah, <laughs> the same reaction <laughs> Which Bucky is, did, right? Right, because it's it's really great that they were able to make you feel that way with just how they were playing off each other, and then you yeah. got so much more in her character just by seeing her response in the yeah. next second is like, I've been a soldier too. So he's like, okay, this person is not your typical therapist. Yeah. It's a military assigned therapist that is going to be a little gruff. And like you're saying, Jason, that's probably what Bucky needs yes. to get past everything that he's at right now. And I've heard Christina yeah. say in the past, like this isn't their first time sitting down, obviously. I mean, this place, I mean, this show takes place, what, seven months after the snap? Six. Right. Six. Okay. And I think he's been seeing her for a long time now. And Christina has told me in the past, you have your guidelines that you have to follow. But once you get to know your patient, you know when there's times that you can go past those laws or those uh, guidelines where you can get a little snippy, where you can say that's bullshit because you know what you have to do to get past the next wall that that patient has up. And that's what we're seeing there. And I love it. Yeah, and I like the way it's shot, like you said before, how um, 
it, it's kind of um, building up the tension, but also in a way where it's the dialogue is so like back and forth that it doesn't feel like over dramatic or anything. Like it's very mm-hmm. playful in a way. You know, it's still a very important scene uh, for Bucky's character. You know, it kind of like goes through all the anxiety that he's feeling, but not in a like gimmicky way, if that makes any sense. Like that's done in the past in other films and TV shows. Sure. What do you guys think about the three principles that he's supposed to follow and how he essentially bent the rules when he went to go see the senator? Yeah, no one got injured, but I might have punched a guy in his face and broke his nose and didn't do anything illegal because I hijacked a car. I did have a phrase that I was supposed to say. I'm Bucky Barnes. I'm no longer the Winter Soldier. This is part of me making amends. <laughs> I, I really want that to be in every episode. <laughs> kind of like Anigo Montoyo from Princess Bride, where he says it all the time. I really want what Bucky was saying to be his mantra through this series. I think it'd be awesome to see that in every episode. Yeah, it would be like a cool catchphrase. I mean, I, I really like the way he was just like, if the second rule is so important, why isn't the first one? Like, why isn't it yeah. the first one? Yeah, don't hurt anybody. He's like, well, that, you're, he's right. It does seem like it's a fairly, fairly important thing to be first. Right. Well, Christina's told me about <clears throat> in the past, especially with her age and with how tiny she is, the smarter the client she has, the more they challenge her on everything. Every word you say, every sentence you say, they find an angle that could challenge what, what their meaning is. And that's exactly what Bucky's doing. And I think she would appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that was pretty, pretty uh, well done. So let's move on and talk about Bucky's relationship with his fellow old, old man, Yuri. I really liked the way they introduced this relationship. There was the callback of Bucky breaking up a fight in the alleyway. And I think that much like Captain America's, I could do this all day. I think that's just Bucky's thing. He's the good guy that always wants to break up a, a fight in the alleyway because it doesn't make sense. But also his convincing the old man to go with him, Yuri, to go with him to, lo- to lunch. Bucky knows that that is what the old man needs at that point in time. He's like, let's just go to lunch. We're supposed to do it every Wednesday. I'll buy. And that is what ultimately convinces him. I think it's a very endearing relationship at this point in the episode that gives you a little bit more background into who Bucky was pre- him becoming winter soldier yeah i agree i think it's kind of um like you said it's it's going back to his his true self really he he is the guy that likes to help out the little guy just like steve was just the little guy in that alleyway he sees this older gentleman you know a smaller guy getting picked on by this other dude and he just helps him out you know and it's that's really true to what uh who bucky is all right to finish up bucky's story for this episode he goes on the date with the hostess or the server from the restaurant and he does a very old school fashioned thing something a guy that used to date 100 years ago would do and brings the lady some flowers and like we were saying earlier there's a couple of things that kind of gives you the idea of how bucky would have been it was nice to see that he would still be able to do that even though he hasn't danced in a while and he hasn't been in the dating game for in a while and the online dating thing is just too scary for him essentially he still remembers that the nice thing to do is to bring a lady some flowers on your first date. The funny part about that scene is when he's explaining how he's on uh, dating apps and he's like, oh, I'm seeing weird pictures, you know, tiger pictures. And, and in my head, I'm like, oh, he, he's seeing people using like filters and he's not understanding what the hell they are. So it's kind of it's kind of funny 
thinking of like a hundred year old dude trying to figure out what is this contraption? Why does this person look like a tiger? Oh, for sure. Can you imagine? I mean, our parents have hard enough time, a hard enough time. Imagine our parents' parents all of a sudden living in this world. (laughs) What I also thought was fairly fun and endearing as they played, not only did they play Battleship, but they also played a little drinking game. So you're kind of used, you're kind of seeing the interesting dichotomy between you know, the original, how Bucky would have dated back in the 1920s to how things are now where you make anything into a drinking game and then you essentially play truth or dare and you talk about your history or your life as you're doing something, something mundane. But I do kind of feel bad for the young lady because he just, Bucky just walks out. Yeah. Uh, Once he realizes that he needs to go make amends and it was kind of confirmed to us at this point that he was the one that killed Yuri's son. I get why Bucky was doing it. I just wish that he gave her just a little bit more time or instead of just dropping everything and running out. So I think that she's going to be coming back in the series. And I hope so, because it would be nice to see Bucky reconcile with her, but also have some sort of happiness and relationship, if you will. Well, I think that scene was perfectly set up in the, in the way where it's, what she's saying in that moment where it's, oh, you know, when, when, you're, when your spouse dies, you're a widower, but there's nothing for that when you lose a child. And as soon as she says that, it kind of snaps. He's on this date because of Yuri. So he's already, he's already on his mind. And on top of that, he's been feeling this guilt. So as soon as she says that, he's like, got to go confront Yuri and tell him what, what's going on. And he shows up to his doorstep and he sees the, the photo in the back. And he feels so much guilt that he's like, I, I can't even talk to this man. Uh, here's your lunch money. Um, I'm out. You know, I thought that that scene was perfectly well done for his character. All right. So we, now that we've talked about Bucky throughout the entire episode, let's go back to Sam and talk about what we've seen, not only about him, but also his his family life. So we said at the top, there was that awesome action scene where he's trying to save the captain and Betrock the Leaper and the LAF are trying to capture the captain and take him to hostile airspace as we all know sam was able to rescue the captain not cross the hostile airspace and that's where we meet joaquin torres now joaquin torres is an interesting character in the comics and we kind of get some hints of this in the show we get to see joaquin look at sam up in the air and you can tell that he is very jealous of being able to fly around and have the wings and when we're when they're sitting at the table at the restaurant you can tell that he is interested in Red Wing and helping to improve the tech. And the reason for that is that in the comics, Joaquin Phoenix is a gentleman that was experimented on by somebody called the Power Broker and essentially turned into a half-man, half-falcon individual. So while Sam Wilson was taking on the mantle of Captain America in the comics for a bit, they needed to backfill the falcon mantle, if you will. So that's where Joaquin Phoenix came in. I'm not sure they're going to turn him into a half-man, half-falcon in this series. That doesn't really quite make a lot of sense with how grounded the MCU is. No. But I'm quite intrigued by the fact that they might be able to, if Sam is going to be Captain America after the series, that Joaquin Phoenix could, sorry, Joaquin Torres could be the Falcon moving on as well. He could be the third team, meaning right now, we're seeing the second team of the MCU, and they're starting to grow. They're starting to have their own storylines. They're setting the seeds now. He might be just a background character 
another eight, 10 years. And then he's the next one we know about. Yeah, I think essentially he's going to end up being like um, what Sam was, what uh, a- Anthony Mackie was when he started the MCU. They're going to build him up as the new Falcon. Eventually, if Falcon takes or when he takes up the mantle of, of Captain America, this kid is going to end up being probably the Falcon. He's probably going to take up his his mantle. I mean, maybe not with the organic wings like in the in the comic book, like you said, Brian. But yeah, he, I, I think he's going to be an interesting character and I think he's going to stick around for a while. Like we mentioned last episode, I think he'll be part of the, the young Avengers that we know that Marvel's kind of building towards is that slow burn. So like we're saying, I think he's going to be around for a while. But also in the restaurant, we see two other really key pieces. We have that couple that comes up to Sam and says, thank you for saving my wife, which you can kind of tell that the Avengers worldwide are known. They're almost celebrity type status. And a lot of people appreciate what they do. So there's a lot of goodwill that comes towards them, which is a nice touch, if you will. We know that we typically see the main storylines, but we don't see a lot of the background work and how it affects everybody else. So it was nice that they pulled that in to show that there is the rest of the world really does appreciate and know what actually is going on. There is hints to that. But this is where we kind of hear that what the Flag Smashers are really trying to do is have a world without borders and thinking that everything was better during the blip, during the five years whenever when half the population was gone. So you start to get this idea that there has been some chaos brewing, if you will, that we are only getting the glimpse of, but we're starting to deal with the ramifications thereof. I think this was a good introduction into what will inevitably one of the main bad guys, quote-unquote, this season. Although I have a... It's too early to know, but I I think there's going to be at least some people within this group that have good intentions, but for the bad reasons. So Sam leaves the table and tells Joaquin Torres that he's off to Washington. And the next scene that we see is Sam go to Washington for the Captain America Memorial at the Smithsonian. And that's where he makes this pretty powerful speech that essentially gets to his internal debate of, I'm not the right guy for this. We should retire the mantle of Captain America because Steve's no longer around. Mm. Not dead, just unknown where he is. And no one really should have the mantle of Captain America. So we see him and, and Rhodey walk through the exhibit. And we can tell that it's the same exhibit that we saw earlier in previous Captain America movies, but it's been updated. We see that there's been new plaques put in place talking about Bucky and his time as the Winter Soldier. We see plaques around what happened with the battle for Earth against Thanos and all of those that vanished for five years. And then we get to essentially a diorama of all of the propaganda and all of the collateral that was used from the first Captain America movie to hype up Steve Rogers as Captain America. We also see then his motorcycle with his the original shield. And in the background, there are artifacts from the very first movie with the time when he Captain America was fighting in World War II with the Howling Commandos. And even in the background, we see a vintage Captain America number one that was originally published by Marvel Comics. That but, was dope because that comic book was actually uh, given out to real uh, soldiers in the real world. Yep. Uh, by the millions while they were out at war to give them a little bit of oomph, a little bit of um, inspiration. hope, inspiration. Yeah, exactly. So that means a lot. 
And the, the scenes where we saw that propaganda was just a setup to remind us how in the first ever movie of Captain America, we learned that they were using him as a propaganda piece, as a, uh, a promotion of the war, as a promotion of America. And yeah. it's to remind us what America can do so that when uh, we find out they want a new Captain America to fight for America again, it makes sense. And we go, yep, we've done it in the past. We'll do it again. Yeah, it's very much coming full circle, but also restarting and, and following the same path that you can tell that the government, while they thanked Sam earlier for turning in the shield, you can kind of tell there is an alternative motive with that government official of like, yeah. thanks. Yeah, thank you, but thanks. we uh, wanted this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they totally just screwed him over. That's That's what it was. And Sam completely fell for it. Because he himself does not feel like he could take up the mantle. So when Rhodey goes up right after saying, hey, man, um, what are you doing? Why why isn't it you? Why aren't you doing this? He's like, it just doesn't feel right, you know? And that fits perfectly with Sam's character of kind of not um, having that self-esteem to be the next Captain America. So he just he just wanted to turn it in so people could go to this exhibit and remember the real Captain America. I applaud him for that. But at the same time, I see the naivety behind that. And we see that Rhodey used to have that naivety when it came to the government. Yeah. He was the government. And Stark would always be like, dude, why are you doing this? You know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it because it made me think of those scenes with, with Rhodes and Stark in the past when I saw Rhodes look at Sam and say, Let's go for a walk, because I know exactly what he's thinking. You think you did the right thing, but you just gave it over to a government that doesn't have the same yeah. kind of morals that you do. Yeah, He kind of had this feel like, hey, man, this, this was me 10, 15 years ago. Yes. What are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he point blankly asks the question, why didn't you take up the mantle? Just so that he could, you know, kind of really see what Sam was thinking and why he didn't feel like he needed to become Captain America, even though Steve handed him the shield and said, yes, it's really yours. I think we're going to see this theme of legacy and who's the right person for the Captain America mantle, not only throughout the continuation of this series, but I think through other movies that come, because there's been several characters that have had the Captain America mantle in the comics, and none of them really have lived up to Steve Rogers' portrayal of him right so i think that's going to be a a talking point that we'll keep seeing throughout the rest of the series for sure oh yeah so then after sam leaves washington he heads down to louisiana like you said jason at the top going back to louisiana that is where anthony mackie is from and i know that he said that it felt very homecoming for him and he was able to feel like he was able to portray the character a lot better and what we're able to see is sam going and talking to his sister and seeing the little men that his nephews turned into during the five years that he was gone. There's a little bit of teasing that we get between Sam's sister and him of where she calls him uh, Uncle Sam and with a salute to indicate like a couple of things. Not only yeah. is he Uncle Sam, but he's also working for the government again, <laughs> taking these oddball jobs that no one else could really do as a, as a freelancer. And then they have a conversation about the family business that their parents left for them. Their fishing boat has been in disarray, if you will. And Sam's sister was all by herself. 
dealing with it during the five years that everyone was gone. And it's been really hard. And she survived and she was able to process everything. But now she's ready to move on and go to something new that's more worthwhile and more worth her energy. But Sam's not ready to give up that legacy just as of yet from his family. So he thinks that there's still something that they can do. I thought this was a very well done quick scene to give us an indication of his relationship with his sister, what Sam's character is all about, how important family is to him, and why he's trying to go and save and go out on a limb for his sister to get a loan that we'll see in a couple scenes. Yeah, I totally, I like that. Like I said, it was a very quick scene and it really established Sam's relationship with his sister where it's like, you could see how attached Sam is to his uh, family's legacy and his past but also how much he cares for his sister and the fact that she's been pretty much going through everything by him, by herself in the last five years because he, he was not there really shows how strong she is as well um, as a character to, to do that. But um, I really like the way they set up those uh, the bond they, they kind of have. I really felt like they were actually brother and sister, you know? This is one of many scenes that I think this show and head writer Malcolm Spellman is going to show a different angle to the MCU. It's a very humanistic approach to our superheroes. And I think it's something oh, yeah. that we've been lacking. It's something that we didn't even know we were lacking. It's very important. Just to add on to that, Jason, when you're asking for the loan, how the loan officer kind of, you know, it was jokingly and playfully how he was just like, hey, how do you, how do you get paid? Like, do, you, do they not pay you throughout the whole thing or while you're saving the world or does Stark pay you? And, and these are things that are like, yeah, these are people like they need to make a living. They need to eat. They need to, you know, they're saving the world. But does everyone really care for them? Or does anyone really like understand that, hey, we got to take care of these guys, you know? The comics do a really good job at this of, yeah, sure. In each part of their story, the story arcs that they tell, there's always usually some sort of enemy or fight scene or something like that. But they also mix in the human characteristics and really have the characters feel like people. And you're right, Jason, this is something that we've missed in almost every movie. We get the the intro of who they are and their origin stories. But after we get to that point, we understand who the characters are. We don't get that second layer depth of them as people. And you can kind of tell that it's just one of those things that we've kind of taken it for granted. So yeah. having this series really explore that is great. And you can even see that Sam's trying to reconcile that as well. And him being gone for five years and having no income and saying that, hey, you know, we don't get paid. We just get goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people just kind of give us stuff. Yeah. Hey, banker, bend the rules for me for a little bit. Just let us get this loan. Everything will be fine. <laughs> I've run the numbers. But then the banker said, it's like, hey, you know, I can't. Things yeah. have changed in the last five years. Those, <laughs> those loans that you wanted are gone. You have no income. So, yeah, you're a hero. You helped save the world multiple times. But on number, on paper, you're just like Joe Schmo that down the street that hasn't had a job for five years. So if we can't give it to Joe Schmo, we're not going to be able to give it to you. Sorry. But hey, can I get your autograph? That'd be great. Yeah, this MCU, which I'm not complaining because I've loved the, this new age. I say new. It's been, what, 10, 12 years now. But uh, new age yeah. MCU. You know, we don't even have the Spider-Man uh, struggling for money in this one because he's, he's too right. young in this one. He's not older right. trying to survive. So having... The fact that we know that Bucky can't, you know, he doesn't have money. He doesn't have a real job. And then we got Sam who, you know, he does odd jobs for the government, which people aren't supposed to know about. He's doing the jobs that are a little sneaky. Uh, he has to be very subtle with it and not getting a lot of money. 
we don't have the typical Thor. I'm the I'm a god. I don't have to worry about money. Or Stark. I own the fucking world. I can buy anything. <laughs> yeah. So I like that side of it, and it gives us another thought that after this blip, what is the world doing? You know, it it's been six months after. So the reason why they gave it six months and not just directly after is because, of course. You're not going to have that honeymoon phase where everyone's just happy to be alive again and be with their loved ones. Now reality has set in and people have to start living again and have to start making money and have to get loans again. And Anthony Mackie is not Thor. He's not someone that he's not one of the main superheroes who doesn't have to worry about money. But think about it. This struggle that he's going through, everyone's going through. If it was us, any three of us, and we were gone for five years Can you imagine you're going to a bank and they're saying, well, I don't see any income for the last five years. And you go, yeah, because I've been gone. We've been gone. We've all been gone. You've been gone, asshole. You're lucky you have a job. I would be way more of an asshole than Sam was in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Sam's a celebrity, though. So he's going to have to maintain that positive attitude and that good good person vibe that he's already that the banker just automatically noticed and saw it and wanted pictures with him so he's got to be on the good side he can't he can't curse the guy out and say dude what no obviously he can't this is unfair and that's why you got his sister sarah there right to play off that which is like how about you you know pay attention to the people right in front of you you know it's it's it was perfectly perfectly well done what about the fact that we can't be too mad at the banker because his question is the question we've had forever since we were kids how do yeah. these superheroes make money who's paying them yeah and we even still don't have comics. the answer but at least <laughs> the question's out there <laughs> right even in the comics it's, it's not really touched upon they have stated at some points that oh they've got like you know six figure governmental contracts and blah 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 but it's been years since they've touched that subject and you just kind of you know obviously peter's got his job at the daily bugle and a couple other people have stuff and stark's still around and blah 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 but yeah they don't really touch on the humanity side of them being people. How do they make it? Where do they live? How do they? Yeah. That's you know, too much real prefer- world stuff, man. We don't want oh, to watch yeah. this. For real. We want to want superheroes. That, we don't <laughs> right. want to get into that. <laughs> but the fact that it's but, a TV yeah. show, they they can broach those uh, subjects, and I dig it. Yeah, it's great to give us uh, more of a character background for for all the characters that we love. For sure. The next really big part of Sam's story here this episode is that after. They leave the bank. He gets a call from Lieutenant Torres again around, hey, you know, get to a secure line. I have something to tell you. And that's where we see how Lieutenant Torres found the Flag Smashers in Switzerland. Them robbing the bank of something, gold or money, something really heavy that they threw out of a second story window and just fell down to the ground with no issues. And they made everyone that was there, based on the virtual reality symbol again, put on masks and told to run to create some chaos. So they wouldn't, the cops wouldn't be able to get them mm. as they robbed the bank. You see that there's two real main people. One is Carly Morgenthau, who is the lady that was handing out the masks as yep. well as the other guy that we don't really get a name yet, but he's the one that dropped out of the second story window and carrying everything. And he's really the one that you can start to see that he's a little bit stronger yeah. than a normal guy. He's got some joists in his blades. It goes back to our theories last last episode of we're thinking that he's got some super serum in him. Yep, for sure. Um, so did this remind you of Mr. Robot a little bit? Come on. 
It's a whole group of people that that have a theory that they want to hold on to and they want to join that club and they're following it via the internet and most of them don't know what they're supposed to do. Yep. I love it. And superpowers. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now we know that only one as of this point has some uh, super strength. Oh, yeah. But thank, thank God to Torres because Falcon is too busy right now with his own stuff and Bucky's not even a part of it yet. So... It's all Torres at this point who's starting to figure out what's going on. And, and to be honest, yeah, once he got kicked in the face and the head, I thought they killed him. I was like, all right, well, they set him up to be a pretty important character. And, <laughs> oh, what, what? What's going on here? But I'm really glad right after that scene you see him alive and everything. But good for him to really investigate these guys. Broke his orbital. Just a small little break. No big deal. What was also very telling to see was that when Torres was talking to Sam about this and he goes, you don't think that they could be... And Sam cuts him off. And he goes, no, I'll, I'll keep in touch. I'll, you know, let me, let me dig into it. I'll, I'll get back to you. And hangs up the phone. I know I have some speculation as to what he was saying. What do you guys think? Was he going to say super soldier? Was he going to say enhanced human? I think so. Alien? Skrull? Yeah, I was leaning more toward uh, super soldier. It looked like Torres already knows Falcon's background with Captain America and all of that. He would know enough to really see, hey, yeah, these guys might have some super serum on them. You know what? Uh, what is this about, you know? So it looks like we were right. Hopefully, knock on wood. Our theories are faint out from last last episode. But then Sam and Tor- Sam and, and Joaquin are interrupted by Sam's sister, who then turns on the television, and you see that same government official that took the shield from Sam at the beginning of the episode seem having a press conference and introducing a gentleman that walks out as the new Captain America in a new, rebranded, redone Captain America costume. That's not my cap. John Walker, you're <laughs> a bitch. <laughs> I wanted to punch that guy in the face. As soon as I saw him, I'm like, get him off my screen. He looks right soft. Now. Yeah, he had that ass. smug look on his face that you know that he's he thinks he's the top shit and everything is going to be great. But there's also something not quite right about him under the surface. You know that the kids have this new uh, turn of phrase, you're capping right now. No. So... If I say to you, like, if I'm kind of fibbing to you, if I'm caught in a fib and I keep playing it off, like, yo, I got, um, I don't know, I got new Jordans. And you're like, no, you don't. You didn't get those new Jordans because only three were released. You don't. And I'm like, I did. And then you would say you're capping right now, which means you're kind of fibbing or you're lying or you're caught in a lie. That's a cool kid right now thing to say. You're capping. And this guy is capping right now. As Captain I think America, you're capping right now, right now on the, on the podcast, <laughs> like you're capping right now. Just because you're not down, like I am, you're not as cool and hip. See, I just ruined it because I said hip. They would never say hip. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting that all out. What I do like though is the new Captain America costume has some harking back to the costume that we know and we love from the previous movies but also brought in some of the key design aspects from the U.S. agent in the comics. It has the stripes across the chest. It has a different star. So it's nice that you can kind of see, like, yeah, this is, obviously we know that he's going to be the U.S. agent or John Walker from the comics, but you can visually kind of see that as well. But you're right, that, that smug look and just him looking different, he's definitely not our Captain America anymore. Well, I'd like to say that what I appreciated with that is the setup where we saw Sam struggling with having Cap's shield and then giving it up and feeling like this is the right thing to do. 
that set us up emotionally to have the correct response when we see this new cap, John Walker, walking out. And we're like, what? No, you don't deserve that. We gave it back to the government as an homage to the real captain. No one else can hold it. It means that much to us. And I love that because it was perfectly set up in one episode to give us that emotional response. It's very important and very well done. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally felt like Sam in that in that one scene where he's just sitting there like, why did I do this? What did I do? Yeah. I, I, I felt that. I felt like, I mean, you kind of got screwed, Sam. With, like, who is this guy? Who is this new Captain America? Mm-hmm. Screw this guy, you know? I thought that was pretty cool how, how they ended up uh, setting that up. Yeah, you can tell that Sam's rethinking his thoughts on yeah. the legacy of Captain America. You know, he he's essentially duped into giving the shield back because he thought he was going to get into this museum exhibit. And now he's he's seeing it back on TV with somebody, a watered down version of Captain America. And you can just see the look in the eyes conveys the what did I do? Was that the right decision? Should I have turned it in? Mm. And as we've seen from trailers, he's got the shield back. So I'm quite intrigued as to how wow. he's going to go and get it. Yeah, me too. If if John Walker and Captain America is just going to be, you know, a figurehead, that's someone that they throw out there for parades and homecomings and stuff like that, but they really ask Sam to go and deal with things because he can, or if there's going to be some sort of conflict later on down the road between the two of them. Yeah. Most likely that second one. Very intriguing. Yeah. Another thing this episode has got me thinking about is we're seeing the Falcon with his new gear, his new wings, his new drone... We've seen a drone, but this is the new version. And we know that it's all Stark, which makes us miss Stark and makes us realize, well, he's gone now. So there's no moving up from here. We're used to every movie. We get the new Stark invention. We know that Iron Man's going to have some new gear next year, and it's going to be even more sick. But he's not there anymore. So I'm wondering if they're going to find someone else on the good guy side who can take up that banner. And I don't know, we probably won't get it uh, in this season, but we will get it in the MCU somehow in the next couple of years. All right, so that is the end of the episode. Now let's talk about our ratings that we have. To put it into context for for all of us, IMDb gave this episode an 8.3. For Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score was 95%, and the audience score was 79%. So we are recording this late Friday evening. So those scores may have changed by the time this comes out and you go and look at them. But Jason, what do you give this episode on a scale of one to 10 shields? It's always difficult when it comes to the first episode of a series because you don't want to start too high. You don't want to start too low. You don't know what the starting point is for this show. But I did enjoy watching it. I wanted more. Although there was a moment where I felt like, wow, is this a full movie? And they just kind of like, cut it like a piece of cake. They were like, okay, this is episode one. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but they do have a track record. We've seen them with Disney Plus and WandaVision. We know they know what they're doing. So with that being said, I'm going to start at a really good eight shield rating. Okay. Lewis, how about yourself? Yeah, I kind of find myself in kind of in the same position where Jay's at, where I don't want to go too high because then the next episode is going to be like amazing and I have to grade it higher. I do enjoy all the character development in this. Um, I, I enjoyed the first action sequence. I thought it was very well done. Very MCU film quality. What I really want to see is, is Bucky and Sam get together. So 
um, with that, I'm I'm just gonna stay at a seven seven shields. Nice. You know, Lewis, you reminded me. You were talking about this, and I have it in my notes, and I just skipped over it. That beginning segment, first of all, felt like a movie, right? The type of money they put into that. But also, did it kind of oh, yeah. remind you, in a good way, did it kind of remind you of Star Wars? Flying through mountains? Yeah, the Millennium things Falcon falling. Scene. Yes, um, right? Yeah, a little bit. so a cool. Bit. It, it really did give me that feel that you're part of it. You're part of that scene. And now yeah. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm putting it too low now. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. that. It also made me kind of feel like it was the first Iron Man again, where that was the first time that we kind of saw... You know, Iron Man flying through the sky and you feeling like you're there with him. Yeah. So I, it, there's a lot of callbacks and a lot of emotions and nostalgic emotions that they're doing. That's just great. So obviously, since I'm the probably the biggest MCU Marvel nerd that I know, I'm actually raking it higher than you guys. But like you said, yeah, I'm giving it a little bit of time or a little bit of space so that the the later episodes are going to be uh, appropriately ranked. So I'm actually going with eight and a half shields. Like you guys are saying, I think it was great, but the, just the the energy and the emotion, the excitement that I got at the very end of the episode is really kind of what made me stay up higher. Nice. Nice. And now is our favorite part where we get our clatchers in on the conversation because it's only three boneheads here. We're enclosed. We're via Skype. We don't necessarily know everything, but with our clatchers together, we can figure everything out and we can discuss it on the digital water cooler. So via Twitter at CKC Podcasts, every week after the episode, we ask you guys, who is your MVS, your most valuable soldier? We give you a poll. We give you four because Twitter only gives us four options. And we also ask you to give us your thoughts, your opinions on the episode in the comments section. So this week we gave you Sam Wilson, James Bucky Barnes, Joaquin Torres and Sarah Wilson. Coming in at last place with Seto percent, Sarah Wilson. Oh, poor Sarah. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. We we only got Sarah really to help drive Sam's background story. Yep. But at the same time, I do think that she's going to be a very integral part of this series moving forward. So hopefully her episode comes up later in the series. And in third place, Joaquin Torres with 23.1%. And that's surprising because I think he was really uh, the only one trying to figure out what's going on besides himself. Yeah, I think he was like the only character really trying to push the story forward. Everyone else were kind of getting their backstory and, and their character development. But for him, he was um, it was more story driven. He was the one really setting the story and the plot forward. So that, that is a little surprising. And in second place, and I should say this, there's two days left on this poll. We're recording this hours after the show aired. So uh, it's not too late. Remember, you have three days from the show's airing to, to give your vote and also comment. And we will talk about it in the next episode. But again, second place with 30.8% is Sam Wilson. Uncle Sam! A little, I'm a little intrigued by that. I think if you look at the runtime, Sam got a little bit more airtime. Yeah. Uh, Pun intended, of course. Uh, but maybe his subplot for, for this episode wasn't as strong, and maybe that's what we're seeing in the, in the voting here. And finally, first place, 46.2% is Bucky. I think that makes the most sense. You see 
Bucky is really the emotional heartbeat of this episode. He has a lot that he's going to go through. You can kind of connect with him and understand where he's coming from, from dealing with fighting for 90 years and then just trying to find some sort of peace like he had in Wakanda. So it, it makes a lot of sense that Bucky came out on top for for this week's episode in the Twitter poll. So with that, Lewis, let's go to you. Who was your most valuable soldier for the episode? Initially, I was going to go with Bucky. Uh, I'm doing the, the Jason thing right now. Initially, I was going to go with Bucky, but um, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Torres because he's the one that really uh, set the pace for this. He set the pace for the pretty much for the series. He's, he's the one that's getting things going and, and finding out who are the big bads and what's going on. So I, I think I'm going to go with Torres on this one. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you, Lewis. I voted for Joaquin Torres. Like you were saying, I think he pushed the story, the overall story arc that we're supposed to see, pushed it the farthest. And I'm really, like we're talking about earlier in the episode, I'm really intrigued and excited for the possibilities of him coming up and being the next Falcon at, by the end of the series. So I would, like I said, I voted for Joaquin Torres as well. Jason? So you think Torres is going to be the next Falcon by the end of this series? Yes, because I think Sam will be Captain America by the end of the series. Okay. He'll probably still keep his wings, but I think he will have the mantle of Captain America by the end of the series. Now, he's saying series. He's not saying season. So we might get multiple seasons of this. Hopefully, maybe. So, you know, maybe it might take a little longer. All right. Well, I had in my notes Torres or Sam. And uh, I think at this point, I'm going to go Torres as well. Uh, Just because... Just like you guys said, he's the one that's setting the underlining storyline up. But it is pivotal that Sam and Bucky are going through what they're going through at this point so that once they get together and once they're having their little fights, their buddy fights, which we will enjoy, it'll mean that much more. And then once they get together to finally figure out what they want and what they have to do, it'll mean that much for us as well. But in the meantime, Torres will be in the background doing what he's got to do to find out who the bad guys are. And at this point, and we didn't expect this, it's the first episode, uh, we would discuss the comments that you have from Twitter. At this point, we have Rebecca saying, Oh my goodness, I have been waiting for y'all to cover a show I watched since The Magicians. I can't wait to listen weekly again. Thank you, Rebecca. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If anyone else wants to join in, the, join in on the conversation, you can always respond to the tweet after every Falcon and the Winter Soldier poll. You just put it there, or you can email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, and we will read off your email on this podcast, or call us at ckc.6606, of course, that's 252-368-6606, leave a message, we'll play it on the cast, your voice will be heard, and we will respond and discuss in the digital water cooler what you have to say. So now we're going to go into the quantum realm and talk about spoilers and theories for the show coming up. So if you do not want to be spoiled, we will see you next week as we review episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. For those of you that are still with us, there's only a couple of things that we really wanted to talk about here today. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's in the credits. The major part that comes out is who is the power broker and the icon that's next to it looks like a little bullet or a little vial of blue liquid. Supposedly that will be the super soldier serum, but there's a lot to dive into the credits. And since we talk about speculation without expectation here on the cast, we'll bring them up as they are revealed, but we don't want to necessarily go down too many of those rabbit holes here today. 
Early on in the episode, Joaquin Torres mentioned that there was a theory about Captain America being on a secret base on the moon. Hmm. Now, there is a couple bases on the moon in the comics. One on the dark side of the moon is where the Inhumans live. And if you remember, there is this really, really bad TV series on nope. ABC called The Inhumans. <laughs> That's right. We don't talk about that. Because nope. they don't exist. None of the Marvel TV shows up until this point on Disney Plus do not exist in this universe, even though Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was a very good series. The other secret base that's on the moon refers to Uatu, who, which is the name of the Watcher. And I'm going to butcher the name again, so I'm just going to call him the Watcher. The Watcher resides on the moon. We did see the Watcher in one of the previous movies. I think it was Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 2, where Stan Lee was talking to these bald-headed guys. yes. Those are the Watchers. Their purpose in the comics is to document historic events that happen for longevity. They are charged with just watching, hence the name The Watcher. They're not allowed to interfere at all. So there is some speculation that that is what they're referring to. At one point, Nick Fury does go up there and essentially replace The Watcher. Very complicated story that we don't have time to get into today. (laughs) And becomes a character called the Unseen. So there may be some ties that they're pulling in from that storyline as well, with Nick Fury currently being on the Skrull ship that we saw at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, I could be wrong, but didn't uh, Deadpool, there's uh, scenes with the Watchers as well. Scenes, I mean, uh, storylines with the Watchers in the comics as well. There is. The Watcher has been around. He was first introduced in the Fantastic Four series, of comic books, but he's been around ever since through a variety of different books that they have out. There was one particular series that kind of revolved around The Watcher, and that's how Nick Fury became the Unseen. Uh, I don't think they're going that route, and if they do, that's years away because there's a lot of other stuff that they have to set up. Yeah, but that's that's kind of the speculation is that that's what they're referring to, or at least a general nod to from an Easter egg perspective. The other one that I want to pull out from the credits is subject number 09656. That refers to a comic book run that's called Captain America Red, White, and Black, where it talks about the initial super soldier serum testing with a gentleman by the name of Isaiah Bradley, who was Captain America before Steve Rogers became Captain America, and he was an African-American individual. It talked about race. It talked about what does it mean to wear Captain America and represent America as a black individual. There is some speculation that Isaiah Bradley has already been cast and will be in the series. Awesome. So we'll keep an eye on if that is going to be coming out. Obviously, we've already kind of touched on the price of freedom as a theme. We've already kind of touched on who's the right person to carry on Captain America's legacy. And I know that will be touching on other subjects along those same lines that make sense for Isaiah Bradley to come in. So that should be interesting as well. The final one, I think this is going to be the the theory that we'll have probably the most meat here to talk about today, is who is behind the Flag Smashers? As we talked about earlier, we know that we were speculating that they have the super soldier serum. But if you start to think about it, the truck in Captain America Winter Soldier was hired by Fury to create a distraction and a reason to get onto the boat so that Natasha or the Black Widow could get some data off of it. But Captain America thought it was for real that somebody was 
hijacking the boat. The thought is, is that we're kind of seeing Vitrock again for no real reason capturing this captain and Sam just going in there. The speculation is that the government is behind this whole thing and trying to set up Sam to fail on this mission because he's reluctant to give up the shield after six months. So he, they're trying to make him fail on this mission. So he just has to turn over the shield so they can give it to John Walker. But there's also some thought that the Flag Smashers might be hired by the government as well, either by General Ross or working with Zemo to discredit Captain America and all of our superheroes again. Yeah, um, that's pretty interesting. I mean, it makes sense to a point where it could be some government person or, you know, someone overseeing the whole uh, Flag Smashers. But um, I really think right now, I feel like it's really just a group of people that kind of believe in a certain way. And at one point Zemo's just going to take over. They set up this, this character guy that jumped off the, the bank and, and looked like the leader. He hit Tories in the face. And I don't, I didn't catch his name. Do you know his name? No, we're not really given a name. He's labeled as Dovik. I think it is an IMDB, but we haven't officially been given a name yet in the series. Oh, okay. Cause they, it looks like they're setting him up as the, the leader for now uh, of that group. To me, I, I kind of think it's going to be uh Carly Morgenthau at this point, kind of leading the group, maybe not front and center, but she's kind of like the heart of that group until sure. Zemo takes over. But um, yeah, it does make sense that, you know, it could be a government thing at the end. I just don't know if maybe a General Ross or, or someone else could come into play with that. What do you think, Jason? Uh, I mean, it's all speculation, but what we learned is that the Flag Smashers thought it was better when the blip happened. And humanity was able to start all over again and recreate humanity or recreate uh, democracy or what have you. So now that everyone's back, they feel like they're stepping backwards and there's something that they are fighting for. We don't know what it is yet. We don't know what they saw in the blip that made them feel like and maybe um, we just watched the stand. We just covered the stand. So it's in my head. But maybe they're thinking like this was our time to start all over and, and do things correctly, do things right this time. Maybe that's their approach. As far as Zemo is concerned, at this point, I feel like this might be a case of uh, taking advantage of your opportunities. I don't, right. I don't know for sure if he's behind this at this point or if he's going to find out what's going on, take advantage of what's going on and implant himself to improve whatever side he's on or whatever team he's on to get them to uh, do his will. I don't know at this point. All right. So we have one for the government for me, one for Zemo with Lewis and Jason's on the fence. He, Jason might be a scroll just trying to hedge his bets right now. But we'll see I'm what saying happens. It's been next one time. episode. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, that is all that we have for you today. Please join us next week as we we review episode two of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Until then, I'll be on your left, and this rounds on me. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash ckcpodcast. This round is on me.
Why are you bugging? Whoa, whoa. What's the group called? Brian? Flag Smashers. One more time? Flag Smashers. Flag Smashers. You mean flag? Are you making fun? Flag Are you making fun of my... You're, you're making fun of my Wisconsin <laughs> accent. I yeah, noticed that during, this is what I was talking uh, about on Twitter when we were doing yeah. the stand and you kept saying flag, flag is a bad guy. So yes, I have a Wisconsin accent. Thank you very much. It only comes out in certain aspects. Can we move, please move on? Thank you. Yes, I will. So I will put up like, my okay. white flag and I will say no more. Flag. Kind of sounds like a Canadian accent. It really does actually. A? a? I'm walking away now. So the flag smashes, eh? <laughs> oh, God. I'm never going to live this down this entire series, am I? Nope. <laughs> Spoilers, Dude, you he know? doesn't want his Canadian accent to come out, man. I mean, his Wisconsin accent. I'm just saying it's clever, man. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's just like that Twitter. Um, someone posted on Twitter. says like, oh, um, I'm so glad you guys are covering this. And I'm like, I hope she knows it's not Jason and Christina. <laughs> right? I, 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 she, there's other guys in this. And she's going to listen to this and be like, who are these guys? Like, <laughs> what the fuck is this yeah. shit? This isn't CKC. What the fuck? <laughs> I only recognize one of these voices. Who the f are the other two? <laughs> Who's that Canadian guy? <laughs> Seriously. 